Welcome to the Codifier podcast. Codifier is a podcast about emerging trends and technologies with the aim to create bite-sized entertaining content for everyone from software developers to sales gurus to even your parents so that they can stay clued in and techno-savvy in today's ever-changing world. And as always with you is me, your host, Stephen Jaguer, and welcome to episode four of Codifier, all about data breaches or life's a breach. <laughs> is your data safe? No. Thanks for listening. Really, though, it could be worth defining what a data breach actually is before I back up that big, bold no. Cybersecurity peeps of which I am one, often refer to three essential pillars upon which anyone responsible for data must adhere. They are called the CIA, oddly, not to be confused with the American super spy organization or the FBI or the NSA or the USPI, the US Postal Inspectors, of course, or NCIS, whatever the hell that actually is. I don't know. Uh, the CIA of cybersecurity stands for confidentiality, can you keep my secret, integrity, can you make sure my secret cannot be accessed or changed by others? And availability. Can anyone deny me access to it? If anyone screws up any of these, it is a problem. A data breach is when a company royally screws up the first one, confidentiality, and allows data about us that we trusted them to keep on the down low available to others. Now, two of the most high-profile examples of data breaches which occurred in 2017 were, of course, Equifax and Uber. I could easily spend this whole time ripping into Equifax, oh, and I would love to. But thankfully, John Oliver and the Last Week Tonight team have already done a stellar job of that. I recommend checking that out. The Uber breach was also super fun, though, and had in common with Equifax an attempt to cover it up. or at least pretend it wasn't happening for a while. It seems the Uber Equifax policy on disclosure is somewhat akin to Homer Simpson aptly putting it, I'll hide under some coats and hope that somehow everything will work out. Now the Uber breach was extra special in that they actually paid the hackers, I think $100,000 to destroy the data they stole. So, you know, no worries, right? Hackers have a rock-solid code of ethics, and Uber said they had evidence to suggest the data was destroyed. So, you know, what, what evidence was that? Did they, did they promise? Did they pinky swear? Maybe they sent a screenshot of an empty directory that was called Stuff We Stole From Uber. Or, or maybe they, they posted them a, an empty USB stick with a post-it on it that said, See? Empty. We cool? Uh, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm not totally convinced. Uh, I think I'll maybe I'll, I'll go have a surf th I'll surf through the dream market. Other dark web marketplaces are available, and uh, and check out what's there. But I suppose it's 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 worth identifying how these things happen in the first place. And there is a pretty wide range of ways that data can leak out of an organization. One of the biggest dangers to any organization is, yes, that's right, it's Milton over there in the corner. He's had his desk pushed all the way to the back, and they took his swing line stapler, so he's going to set the building on fire. Or worse, copy some intellectual property or data records onto a portable device and walk right out of the building. Edward Snowden is still the poster child of the insider threat, but many organizations have suffered from it. 
One notable figure which received much negative media attention was Morgan Stanley's Galen Marsh, who stole 730,000 data records over three years before he was caught. And how was he caught? Well, that's pretty fun. This server where he hid the data was hacked by Russians. Awesome. Kind of feels like karma, doesn't it? Morgan, Morgan Stanley more than likely had excellent security for outsider threats, but all the real hackers had to do was find some doughhead who maybe wasn't a complete newbie, but certainly didn't have a bank security team keeping that data safe and presto, hacker Christmas. Equifax, on the other hand, and again, I'm beating a dead horse here, is a perfect storm of cyber stupidity and pretend security. At the core of it, was a well-known published vulnerability in an open-source software package called Apache Struts. And for those who don't know, and that's probably most of us, Struts is a very commonly used framework for writing web applications. It's in Java. Now, this vulnerability was known about back in March, and anybody who's anybody in charge of security probably should have just upgraded that and be done. Uh, not Equifax, though. That's a security 101 no-no. Now, having a vulnerability in your core programming language framework that's like finding out the bricks in your house are actually made from paper mache in your house, like Equifax, is nothing more than a kick-ass pinata full of prizes. Hashtag, check my recommendations in both the IoT and ransomware podcasts. Keep your junk up to date. Of course, it didn't stop there. It got worse, because it also turned out that Equifax had an Argentinian employee website where the login was admin, and the password was admin. At least it wasn't password. You might now be thinking you should change the default setting on your Wi-Fi router, especially if you run an Airbnb. So I'll mix it up a little bit and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a few other examples of key ways in which your data gets sprayed across cyberspace. And the first of those will be the Talk Talk breach from, I think it was 2015. Talk Talk is a telecoms company in the UK, if you don't know. Uh, and in, in this instance, there was a kid, I believe he was like 15, 16 years old, used a mechanism called SQL injection to access some records in a database, and then he tried to blackmail them about with those with, the, with those records. I don't think it went too well. Um, an SQL injection, well, that's that, for those who don't know, is when, imagine you're filling in a form on a website, you get your name, your address, and whatever, and instead of, instead of playing by the rules, you enter some database query statements. And that actually used to work. Now, stopping that from happening now is the equivalent of the old days of when your parents might write a check and they'd write the amount, 3768, and they draw a line after it. Uh, very clever. Uh, that stops the recipient or cashier or whoever from adding and a million dollars. I think that's a Seinfeld joke. Anyway, it's really almost that easy to stop would-be hackers from trying that kind of attack. And you're going to detect a theme happening now. The fixes for that kind of attack have been known for years. And in 2015, in this case, had not been applied. So from a hacking perspective, an SQL injection is one of the more easily preventable and really should not be around. But older websites are still out there and are still at risk. But wait, there's more. There are a lot of amazing ways that hackers have gotten data records uh, from the rather interesting and complicated Heartbleed bug of 2014, where a guy checked some code in a few minutes before midnight on New Year's Eve. And yeah, anything, just about anybody who's ever done anything a few minutes before midnight on New Year's Eve probably has regrets. Uh, but maybe not quite as, uh, as much as this guy. 
which resulted in JP Morgan's website spewing data dumps out on request. Um, a far more common occurrence was where someone leaves the door unlocked on an Amazon S3 cloud storage. Uh, I'll do a podcast on the cloud in the coming years, but sufficient to say Amazon S3 cloud storage is a hard drive in the sky. Now, the Oops Award for this one goes to Accenture. Yes, Accenture, as recent as a few months ago, got caught with their panties down by researcher Chris Vickery. Uh, he found a treasure of company secrets, such as authentication credentials, certificates, decryption keys, etc., uh, which is not great for Accenture, but at least it looks like the good guys found this one first for once. Now, I could go on and on, but I think that's enough. I mean, there were more than 3 billion data records leaked in 2016. 2017 isn't over, though. We're working on smashing that record. Come on, 2017. So before I go into plugging this Codifier as a blog at Codifier.com, Twitter uh, as the handle being Codifier, and Facebook, facebook.com slash Codifier. Oops, I've already done it. I'd just like to thank everybody for listening. I think we're out 200 listeners now, and the first episode had, well, five to start, but yeah, we're doing pretty well. Thanks for, thanks for, thanks for getting in there and, and sticking with it. I, I hope you're really enjoying things. And do contact me at codifier.gmail.com with new suggestions for new shows. But what I'd really appreciate it is if you share it. Stick it on your Facebook page. Tell everybody about it because I like to think the content is accessible for just about anyone. And if they don't understand what a podcast is, hey, hold their hand and, and get them involved. Thanks. Back to the show. So diving back in, I think a question remains, why do hackers just want data? I mean, far more often than not, the leaked data doesn't contain credit cards or CVV numbers or, you know, those, those three digits on the back of the card, rock solid security for credit cards, those things. I mean, anything they can really use to directly get money from you. So what gives, right? Well, if you listen to my ransomware episode, Thanks for listening, by the way. I did mention phishing campaigns in which emails arrive looking like interesting and relevant subject matter that might even make the most skeptical, security-savvy individual click on it. And I also mentioned that social engineering expertise in the hacking community, especially nation-state-funded uh, hacking, is getting higher and higher and better and better. So now, imagine what they might be able to come up with if they knew your private details, where you bank, maybe your account number, email, phone numbers, potentially other details. I mean, none of this, they can necessarily get money directly from you. However, they can certainly build up a plausible fraudulent email or just call you up and convince you that they are your bank. Or maybe call your bank and convince them that they are you. Now I'll drop in a little anecdote. I was traveling recently in San Francisco and the driver was really friendly. He, was, he started asking me what I did for a living and why I was there. And I kind of flipped it and asked him how he became a taxi driver or would he rather be doing something else if not driving taxis, etc. And eventually it got back to me and we started talking about security. And so I mentioned the podcast. I thought, you know, always selling. And he was absolutely certain because I referenced the ransomware one, that he could never get caught up by a scam like that. And so I just gave him off the cuff a few examples of what I would put in an email or what I might say when I called him 
and I played back information he'd just given me in the five-minute conversation we had traveling about his life, their family, where his parents live, his previous employment. Uh, and then I asked him, now, would you believe I was representing something legitimate with the knowledge I have in the five minutes we've been driving? And I think it kind of freaked, I think it kind of freaked him out a little bit, but he had to admit he was no longer so confident he couldn't be, he couldn't be caught out. So this is why data is so important to hackers. They, they will find ways to get the data and they will either use it themselves or they will sell it to criminals, scammers to conduct very targeted boiler room scams or email-based phishing campaigns. The more data, the more specifics, the wider the net and the higher likelihood of catching people out. Now, I still haven't mentioned the number one way that your data isn't safe, and I'll leave that to the end to keep the suspense high. Uh, I have touched on why your data is so valuable, and I would now quickly like to dig into what a data breach means to a company that is a victim of it. I'll, I'll start that talking again about the TalkTalk Talk hack. Now, they were hit with an unprecedented 400,000 pound fine. Unprecedented at the time. Now, does that sound like a lot of money? I'm, I'm sure it does to me and to individuals listening. Uh, however, it's potentially only a bit of a stinger if you consider that the CEO of TalkTalk, who publicly addressed the hack and actually did a quite a professional job about addressing that, has a salary between two and three million pounds a year. She could have paid that fine herself and been left with more money than many of us, many of us might ever see in 10 years. I mean, it's like a parking fine for a company. Now, I, re I referred to TalkTalk CEO. Her name is uh, Dido Harding, by the way as being professional in her handling of that data breach. Now, what I, went, what I meant by that is she told the world, and specifically their customers, in a responsible and timely fashion, the exact opposite of Equifax, who knew about their breach in late July and sat on it until early September, while key executives sold off stock, which looked a little fishy. Uber always wanting to one-up, knew about their breach almost a year before revealing it, and as I mentioned earlier, tried to pay some hush money to the baddies to make it go away. Which they did. Absolutely, definitely. So you might be wondering whether there are regulations for the way companies must disclose breaches of these kind. And they, there are, but they tend to be state or country-driven, and they are a bit haphazard at the moment. It is generally regarded, well, certainly within the security industry, that 72 hours is how long you've got between realizing you've been compromised to telling those affected. At the moment, though, it kind of feels like a rare occurrence. And why would anybody comply with these guidelines or regulations anyway if the fines are so relaxed given the size of the companies we're talking about? Now, far more damaging and noticeable, you would think on a corporate level, would actually be the stock price. The, the damages there could far exceed those rather paltry fine amounts. Talk Talk dropped 10%. Equifax dropped 18% and is still down. That's something that affects board members and investors, and they don't like to see that. And additionally, in the case of Equifax and Uber, several major executive jobs were lost. I mean, the CISO for Equifax, I mean, she's practically in witness protection program. I mean, I saw an article stating that her digital identity 
is slowly being erased from the internet. I mean, yeah, you can pay people to do that. Uh, and you might be thinking good, or you might agree with that. And sure, I mean, let's hope that they didn't spend their massive salaries too frivolously because no one likes to see a career destroyed. Um, it is worth mentioning that stock drop is just a symptom of a larger issue, though, for companies, and that is reputation. Equifax is not in a good place right now. Uh, Uber, yeah, well, they, um, that's they maybe maybe they didn't have a reputation to defend. Uh, companies like Accenture, though, that I mentioned earlier, that's a big deal, and that that damage can hang around for a long time. Now, what's new on the horizon, however, is something called. GDPR, or the General Data Protection Regulation. Coming out of the EU. Ah, who needs the EU? We should leave. Anyway, the General Data Protection Regulation is something that has come from the EU, and having had enough of companies being subject to major data breaches involving members of the EU, they will now face penalties. Those penalties are 20 million euros, or, and this is really great, 4% of worldwide revenue. That is fantastic. The GDPR also holds companies accountable for the timeliness of releasing the details to their customers, and it is 72 hours. Bravo, GDPR and the EU. And now with those numbers on our plate, I don't think I've ever been so excited to do a bit of math. I mean, that would mean the same data breach that TalkTalk Talk suffered in 2015, for which they were fined an unprecedented 400,000 pounds, would actually be 20 million euros, or 4%. Well, that's an interesting number. Let's consider that TalkTalk's revenue in 2015 was 1,795,000,000. Yes, those annual reports are public. So that means the fine would actually be 71.8 million. Did I mention that the 20 million euro or the 4%, the fine is whichever is greater? Yes, that means it would be the 71.8. And that is, in fact, 179.5 times larger than the unprecedented fine they had last time, and certainly out of reach of their CEO's wallet. So, are you excited to do Uber? I am. Uber's fine, based on their $6.5 billion in revenue they took in 2016, would be $260 million. Yeah, feels good, doesn't it? That's a lot more than the 100000 hush money they tried to pay to the hackers. The fines that were being handed out for a complete disregard of private customer information were slaps on the wrist before GDPR. And if you're in the States, or you're in Canada, or you're outside of the EU, and you're thinking, well, it doesn't apply to me. Aha. Yes, it does. The, the GDPR regulation, there is an agreement, at least with the USA, that if you are holding data that is for EU citizens, you don't have to be in the EU. The EU is going to clamp down on you anyway. So Equifax, Accenture, everyone is going to be affected by this. Okay, we're nearing the end, and last but not least is the big reveal. What is the biggest source of personal data leakage that puts you at risk today? Are you ready? Here it goes. It's you! 
Yes, it's you. Well, actually, Facebook is partly responsible. But to be more accurate, yeah, it's still you. I wrote an article at the beginning of the year uh, called Facebook Socially Engineered Hacking. And that is just one example of how your most intimate data can be leached out of you voluntarily. The example I brought into question was this viral game which spread through Facebook and created a tag cloud of your most used words on Facebook. What was different about this, as opposed to quite a few things that happen within Facebook, is that the game involved an external service to compute that image tag cloud, revealing your personal trend keywords. It was clever, and who wouldn't want to know more about themselves, and then they can tell all their friends. You might think, only my friends, right, can see the results because you're good with your privacy settings. Oh yeah. Except in order to run the game, you had to allow that game or service access to your account so it could mine that data out and get the result. The data acquired en masse via this method was far more threatening than most of the data leaked through major data breaches. Yeah. Your post messages about your family, your pets, your job, celebrating and complaining about your most personal moments, sharing with your closest Facebook friends. And this random company in Korea who now has your entire Facebook history so that you could get a keyword tag cloud. Now that didn't even make a top 50 list of data breaches because you gave your data away. And that is really what's quite scary about that kind of, that kind of data leak. I think the lesson there is that we just need to understand that when something is offered to us as a free service, be it Facebook or something offered inside Facebook, it isn't actually free. I mean, somebody smart once said, if you're getting something for free, you're the product. And in fact, John Oliver said in terms of the Equifax breach, if Equifax was KFC, we're the chickens. The reason sites like Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, uh, have value is because they have our data and that data can be sold to somebody. In this particular case, that we're giving it to people voluntarily. I mean, the best case scenario is that it's being sold to a marketing firm for advertisements. The worst case is that it's going to the same people who buy up those data records leaked in high profile data breaches. I'm pretty confident that Facebook isn't doing anything illegal. So I think it's those third parties we need to watch out for. So how can we be better? Well, that's kind of a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, thankfully, things like GDPR and other regulations that are going on at the moment are doing a much better job of making companies accountable for our data. And hopefully they will take security a bit more seriously in the future. And I think personally, we as normal consumers of these kinds of services, we can be more careful as well. Be wary. Facebook doesn't always have control of what gets embedded within its feeds. So if something asks for permission to access your Facebook data, check how much access it is. Check to see whether it's something within Facebook or outside of Facebook. And when in doubt, skip the game. You'll live. I think I'm going to close out now with mentioning the biggest data breach of all time, which I haven't even mentioned yet. And the reason for that is it happened way back in 2013, but it still holds the title. So. Are we ready? Do you have your, your seatbelts fastened? The winner of the worst all-time data breach is Yahoo! No, I'm just kidding. It's Actually, it's Yahoo. The company, Yahoo. They are the winner of the biggest ever data breach with 3 billion data records lost in their data breach. Ever had a Yahoo account? 
the bad guys have your password. Did you use that same 2013 password anywhere else? The bad guys have that password too. Do you have two-factor authentication? I hope so. Codifier has an upcoming podcast called An Idiot's Guide to Passwords. It'll be on the 10th of January 2018, so I'll see you then. Happy Holidays! This has been Codifier Episode 4, Data Breaches. Life's a breach. Why not follow us on Twitter on Codifier and Facebook.com slash Codifier. And hey, take a leap. Share this podcast with some of your friends. Just think, a few years from now, you can say, hey, I knew these guys when they were just beginning. I'm an early adopter. Cool. See you in January and have a happy holidays.